Good. So you met everyone around you already? You're all set? Dialed in? Good. Okay, so today the theme is surprises. I wasn't making that up uh, a few minutes ago. So the, the theme is surprise. And uh, let's just talk about the Giants, first of all. First off. Yeah. Oh! There we are. Good. Some of you guys have your colors on and things. Very nice. It's good. If you've been to a Giants baseball game at AT&T Park, they have something that happens right before the first pitch every game. The announcer comes on the PA system and says, two lucky fans have just won the StubHub move of the game. Oh, you haven't been there. Oh, someone's been, some, one person, we're talking, okay. So what that means is somebody who's sitting in the cheap seats, like the bleachers, the people that, that buy season tickets, they don't get to take advantage of this, but somebody in the cheap seats gets moved to a place right beneath the press box, best seats in the house, soft, cushy, comfortable, they call it the StubHub move of the game. So surprise, we're going to do StubHub move of the gathering. Yeah. So, somebody on the way in, I don't know who it was, but somebody on the way in received a couple of big red squares. Anybody have those big red squares? Oh, come on, stand up, you guys. You are the StubHub Move of the Gathering winners. Right up front. Come on out here. There we go. John's going to escort you to some really nice, soft, rocking chairs. There we go. We're having a good day now. Right up, right there, right there. You got some chips. I don't think we had salsa, but you got some chips and pretzels and a couple of bottles of Fiji water. It's like, you, those are yours. Make sure you, you know, knock yourself out. Are you good? Are you good? No, no snoring. All right, you like it? All right, good. Yeah, no, that's up to, okay, I'm, I'm in, I'm, no snoring, no snoring on your part either. Good, are you guys good? Enjoy that and have fun. No one's looking at you. <laughs> all right, no, so the, so the day is, it's all about surprise today. We've talked a lot in the last four weekends or so about uh, becoming like Jesus, the theme of our series right now, which we're wrapping up today. Not that we're going to stop trying to become like Jesus, but the, the, the series stops today. The theme is becoming like Jesus. And so we've talked about some things that Jesus did, some things that actually are pretty mundane things in a lot of ways. And a lot of things that Jesus did were not shocking. Yes, he walked on water. Yes, he could calm a storm with just a whisper. Those were pretty amazing. But a lot of the things that Jesus did, they're things that we can do. Like we can be like Jesus. And by the power of his spirit that works in us, we can actually be like Jesus. And so we found some things out during this series that Jesus did. For example, Jesus called people. He called people to be his disciples. He called people to be his followers. He has called us and is calling us to be his disciples. And once he calls us, then he sends us and he says, now you go do the same. You go call people. And we can be like Jesus. We found out that Jesus fed people. Of course, Jesus fed 5,000 people at one time, 5,000 men plus women and children. So you guys might want to share those chips, you know, pass that around a little bit. But he, Jesus fed people, and that's, that's a way that he blessed them. We can't necessarily feed 5,000 people with a sack lunch like he did, but we could feed somebody. You're surrounded by God with people in your network or what we call your oikos, your extended you know, family or household. You're surrounded by people, and you could feed them. And you could be like Jesus in that process. And what kind of ordinary miracle might happen if we just fed people like Jesus did? Jesus we found out Jesus healed people. 
And you go, oh, I know, he, he made the lame walk and the blind could see and those kinds of things. You go, I can't do that. Yeah, but Jesus also forgave people. And a lot of the healing that he brought about was because he offered forgiveness to others. And some people said, no, no, only God can do that. And Jesus said, well, I have the authority on earth to do that. Not only did he have that authority, but he gave that authority out to his followers. Those people who have responded to his call, like us. And you have the power to heal people. We have the power to heal people if we will simply offer forgiveness. It's an amazing power, and it helps us to be like Jesus. So Jesus called people. He fed people. He healed people. And today we're going to talk about this. Jesus surprised people. Jesus surprised people. In fact, everything that Jesus did surprised somebody. There's nothing you can find in Jesus' life that didn't surprise somebody. And so everywhere he went, every time he turned around, somebody was being surprised by Jesus. And so we're just going to walk through some of those stories and see what they were like and see how they relate to us. So if you have your copy of the Bible today, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke uh, for our whole time together today. So let's start with Luke chapter 2. I want to read a story that's very, very, very familiar to everybody in the room, I believe. It's a story you've heard every year of your life, probably, to some, to some degree. So let me read this one. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 5. It says this. Joseph went to Bethlehem to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You heard that story before? Yeah, we're, we're kind of familiar with that one because every year at Christmas we tell that story. We tell that particular story more than we tell any other story of Jesus' life. We tell the story of Jesus' birth more than we tell the story of his resurrection. Because when it gets down to Easter, we're like, we get one day for the resurrection. You got Easter Sunday or for us Saturday, we got, you know, one weekend for the resurrection. But a lot of times at Christmas, we're like, let's take a week or two or three weeks and talk about Christmas. We tell that story over and over and over. And so for us, sometimes it's not very surprising. But when you go back and you read the story and you go, wait, wait, this is the king of kings and lord of lords and there's no room for him? This is the king of kings and lord of lords and they placed him in a feeding trough? Everything... Jesus did surprise somebody. That surprises me, except I get used to it. Now, let's look a little farther down in the chapter, chapter 2, verse 41. Let's look at this story. This one is familiar to many of you, but not near as, uh, as familiar as that first story. Verse 41, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Huh. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. 
Then they went down to Nazareth with them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's the, that last verse is the one we started this whole series with, right? We were talking about growth charts and how everybody has a growth chart. In fact, Mary had a growth chart for Jesus. And you find that out. It's like he grew in stature. He got taller and he got wiser and smarter and better educated. He was growing up. But before all that growing up stuff, you have this story about Jesus going up to Jerusalem with his parents for the Passover. Now, Passover for them would have been like Easter for us. And they go up for this, for this holiday in Jerusalem. It's going to be a great big party. There's going to be a lot of people there from out of town. And they're all coming into the city to celebrate the Passover. And they get in there and they have a great time. And at the end of the party, at the end of the week, they go home. Joseph and Mary and all the relatives, they all head back to, to the north into Nazareth, up in the north. And so they're all making their way. And they get done with the first day. And Mary comes to Joseph and she goes, Hey, Joey, I can't find Jesus. I think she probably called him Joey. I don't know. So I can't find Jesus. Now you're thinking, what kind of parents are these? You're like, this is Mary, the mother of God. No, you're like, nobody leaves their son back in Jerusalem and doesn't check for a whole day. She'd be arrested for child negligence or something today. They get a whole day's journey like, I haven't seen Jesus. Have you seen him? No, I thought he was with you. Well, I thought he was you. Well, I thought he was with the relatives. Well, he's not. And they're about to come to blows, except panic sets in. They're like, we got to go find our son. So now they turn around and go back to Jerusalem. But now it's a day's journey back to the city. And they go back and they don't know what's going to happen. They look for their son for three days. Now picture this. Every milk carton in Jerusalem has Jesus' picture on it. Amber alerts all over the region of Judea. Where's this child? Where's this child? Missing child. iPhones are lighting up everywhere. And they look for Jesus for three days. But they didn't find him. They're looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. Thank you, because I worked hard on that one, polishing that one up. Some of you just don't care. And then after three days, now I don't know if that counts one day up, one day back, and then another day in Jerusalem, or it's one day up, one day back, and three more days in Jerusalem, but you're a parent, and you've got a 12-year-old who's missing. How's your heart? You are a mess. You are a mess by about this time. And they finally find him in the temple. And they're astonished. They're surprised because they looked, they looked where the boys would hang out. They looked where a 12-year-old boy would hang out. There was a fort in Jerusalem. They looked in the fort. wasn't there. There were riverbeds out there. They, lo- they looked all through those places. There were back alleys there. They looked through those places. They looked where every place where they thought a 12-year-old boy might hang out, but they didn't go in the temple. And they're surprised. They finally find him in the temple. Last place they looked, apparently. And Jesus is now surprised at them. He's surprised at his mom and dad. He's like, why are you so surprised? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And they scratch their head. They're like, I don't understand. Your father's right here. And they didn't quite get what was going on. And all the time that Jesus was surprising his parents, he was also surprising these teachers of the law who were surrounding him. And he's sitting kind of in the middle, sort of holding court with these teachers. And he, they were amazed at, surprised at his understanding and his ability to ask questions. If you fast forward 18 or 20 years into Jesus' adult ministry, he never lost that ability to 
understand and to ask amazing questions. And even the teachers of the law who were experts were surprised at Jesus. Turn over to chapter 6. We'll skip over some things, but everything that we're going to skip over, you would find that there's things that Jesus did that surprised somebody in those as well. But let me read chapter 6, starting at verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had created a lot of rules. God said, I want you to rest on the Sabbath. I want you to put your feet up. I want you to relax. I want you to enjoy some recovery time on the Sabbath. It's for your benefit. But the Pharisees had added a bunch of rules to it. It was like, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. And they tried to get really detailed so no one would break the rules. Problem was, the more detailed they got, the more people broke the rules. But they watched out. They were the, they were the Sabbath rule watchdogs. And they're watching Jesus. Jesus one day is, is walking through a field with his disciples. And his disciples were grabbing some of the heads of grain and rubbing them in their, in their hands and then eating the kernels. And the Pharisees, who happened to be taking the walk with them, they looked at them and they said, you're not doing it right. They said, you're not doing it right. You're breaking the rules here. See, the Pharisees had this dialed down so tight that you weren't even allowed to spit on the Sabbath. Because if you spit, it might land in the dust. And if it landed in the dust, it would mix around and make mud. And now you've made mud, and that's work. I'm not making that up. That's how tight they got this thing. And so they said, Jesus, your, your disciples aren't following the rules. And he said, well, haven't you read the story about King David? You remember King David? Yes. He goes, haven't you read the story about King David? When he and his companions were hungry, they went into the tabernacle, they went into the house of God, and they took the bread that was offered to God and was only there for the priests to eat. But David ate some, and he gave it to his companions, and they ate some as well. That's what, that's what David did. And then Jesus says, and I'm here, and I'm greater than David. In fact, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were surprised by what Jesus did. Everything Jesus did surprised somebody. Now, if you keep reading in chapter 6, the tone changes. On another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now it's another Sabbath. It's some, it's some later Sabbath than the one when they were walking through the grain fields. And now they're in church, as we would say. They were in the synagogue. And the teachers of the law were there. 
and they were sort of looking for trouble. Now think back, 18 or 20 years before this, Jesus was in Jerusalem with his mom and dad on the Passover weekend, and he's in there holding court with who? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. What if somebody from that circle of teachers was there at this moment 20 years later? I mean, it's possible if they were a young rabbi then, now they're an older rabbi, more mature rabbi, and now they're there in the synagogue with Jesus 20 years later. Possible. What we know for sure is they were no longer surprised by Jesus. They now hated Jesus because he never did it right according to their rules, and it ticked them off. And there was a man with a shriveled hand there. For some reason, his hand wouldn't work. You ever wonder if he was a plant? You know, these guys hated Jesus. Don't you just, doesn't it make you curious if he was a plant by them? Because they know he's there. And then it says they're watching Jesus to see if he would heal this guy on the Sabbath. So whether he was a plant or not, I don't know. But Jesus sees him and he sees the Pharisees watching him and watching Jesus and he knows what they're up to. And so he goes back to his question asking mode. Remember how good he was at asking questions that surprised people? He says to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he says, which one of these is lawful on the Sabbath? You're all dialed into what's lawful. You're all dialed into keeping the rules. Which one is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy one? Well, how do you answer that question? Where are you going to go with that question? They didn't say anything. And Jesus says to the man with the shriveled hand, I know it's going to be awkward, sir, but you stand up in the middle. Man stands up and Jesus looks at all of them who had nothing left to say. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he healed him. Because that's what Jesus does. He heals people. And in the process, he surprises people. And he changed another life. Everything Jesus did surprised somebody. So I want to ask you, when was the last time Jesus surprised you? When I look at my own life, I realize Jesus doesn't surprise me very often anymore. I mean, I've read the story. I've read, I've read all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've read them over and over and, and over. I, I, I don't know how many dozens of times I've read those stories. I've read every story in there. I can't come to a story in the Gospels that I go, oh, I don't remember that one. And so then it seems hard for Jesus to surprise me. How long has it been since Jesus surprised you? And what if Jesus wanted his next surprise to come through you? See, I believe if we would try, and it's not about trying, I believe if we would let Jesus work through us so that we surprised people in ways that Jesus surprised people, We would be like Jesus, and he would surprise us again.
There's nobody in Jesus' life that, that wasn't surprised by him. I mean, think back through some of the people in Jesus' life. There's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. He's the one who was announcing Jesus to the world. And so here's this great prophet leading the way for Jesus. But John looked at Jesus after a while and he said, I'm kind of confused because I don't think he's doing it like the Messiah does it. So John sends messengers. John's in jail. He sends messengers to Jesus. He says, you know, I really thought you were the Messiah, but can you just, can you, just you know, hit, hit resend or whatever and, and uh, confirm this for me? I just need a little confirmation. And Jesus says, well, John, the, the, the lame can walk now and the blind can see now and the poor have the good news preached to them. Don't stumble over me. Jesus surprised John the Baptist. Why? Because Jesus was carrying out a redemptive mission and John didn't get it. Jesus surprised Peter. Here's Peter, Jesus' like best buddy on earth. And uh, they were up, traveling up in the northern part of Israel, and Jesus was questioning his disciples, doing one of those questioning things again. He's questioning his disciples. He says, hey, what are people saying about me? What are you hearing? They said, the disciples said, well, you know, some people are saying that you're, that you're Elijah, or some people saying you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 but who do you say I am? And Peter pipes up and he goes, well, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, ding, 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 thank you for playing. God showed that to you. That's awesome. And then because the disciples were understanding who Jesus was and that he was the Messiah, then Jesus said, I'm going to trust you with the um, explanation of my mission. So he begins to lay out what his mission is. He says, uh, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be nailed to a cross till I die. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. But the disciples never heard the rise again part because it got stuck on the cross part. And Peter takes Jesus aside and he says, no, 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 Jesus, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus surprised Peter when he said, get behind me, Satan. Ow. Man, don't try this at home with your wife. Get behind me, Satan. It's not good, because your wife would not be happy. And now Peter, he's like, Jesus, you just called me Satan. It's not good. He surprised him. Why? Because Jesus was on a redemptive mission, and Peter misunderstood it. Jesus surprised Zacchaeus. We saw his story recently. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to be able to see Jesus. Jesus stops under the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house for dinner today. And by the way, we're going to do a sleepover at your house. That surprised everybody. Why did Jesus do that? Because he was on a redemptive mission toward people like Zacchaeus. Tax collectors and people that were hated and kind of on the outside. He wanted to reach them. He wanted to touch them. Jesus surprised Pilate. Pilate has him on trial because the chief priests and the teachers of the law had arrested Jesus and brought him to Pilate. And they accused him of all these things about sedition and overthrowing the government and all these kinds of things. And Pilate is trying Jesus and Jesus won't respond to the charges against him. And Pilate is astounded that Jesus won't answer the charges. Why wouldn't he? Pilate had the power to release him. Why wouldn't Jesus respond to the charges? Because Jesus was on a redemptive mission. And to be set free 
would thwart the mission. And so he even surprised Pilate. Everything Jesus did surprised somebody. And it was all because he lived his life on a redemptive mission. What if the next surprise that Jesus wanted to make happen, he wanted to make happen through you? How would you get there? How would you, how would you surprise your neighborhood? How would you surprise your oikos? How would you surprise the people around you? What does Jesus want to do through you? Maybe if you and I would look for places where we could be on a redemptive mission to the people around us, maybe they would be surprised by us as well. When you live your life looking for people that could use redemption, and you just ask yourself the question like Jesus would ask it, how could I redeem a life today? Or make it smaller, make it more manageable. How could I redeem a moment Today, is there some way in my relationships today that I can redeem a moment for somebody? If you would look for redemptive moments in your life and the lives of other people around you, you would surprise them. You'd probably shock them. Because the power of Jesus would be working through you to bring redemption. Be with Jesus. When the disciples were arrested after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and his ascension into heaven, the leaders noticed that these disciples had been with Jesus. Make sure, make sure you are with Jesus. You are walking through his story. You're letting those stories color your life. You're letting his mission color your life. And then look for redemptive moments with the people around you in your world in your network and see what Jesus does. Maybe it'll be surprising. I want to show you one example of this. This is not an example for everybody, but I want to show you one example. Pam, why don't you come on up, please? We have a team that is going to, a team of Lakesiders that is going to Cambodia uh, in about a month. And uh, Pam Loomis is one of the ones who's going. So why don't you welcome Pam here, please? So, Pam, thanks for being with us. You're, you're very excited to speak in public to all these people. Yes, yes? thrilled. Yes. yes, thrilled, right? So, good. So, be nice to her, okay? You don't have to be nice to me, but be nice to her. So, tell us a little bit, Pam, about what the purpose of the mission to um, Cambodia is. Okay. So, the purpose of this trip is it's a four-day and three-night marriage retreat for the AIM staff in Cambodia. And there are about 14 people who are on staff, so for them and their spouses, They'll get to go away for this long weekend and spend some time. It's really about rejuvenation and encouragement for the couples. And the content that's being developed is fantastic. There's all sorts of sessions on communication, conflict resolution. They have some fun games and things that they're doing, worship time. A date night, they get a date night that's just for fun. So it's really just to encourage them. Okay, so what's AIM? Oh, not everyone okay. knows. That's right. Not everyone knows what AIM stands for. Yes, so AIM is Agape International Missions, and it's one of the partners that Lakeside works with, and they rescue kids from trafficking in Cambodia. That's their primary mission. They restore over 10,000 people every year. So they've got these, these girls that they're working with, and the staff is who we're doing this marriage conference for because yes. they get exhausted and drained. Right in these really horrific situations where they're rescuing these girls and then exactly. uh, 
redeeming their lives. Really, it's a redemptive mission. It is, right? definitely. And our primary goal over there is to help them reestablish connection with their spouse and um, just give them some hope and some rejuvenation while we're there. So those are our three goals. And what's your part? What role do you have in the trip? Yeah. So my role is to get to take care of the kids of the staff members. It's interesting because abuse is so prevalent there that the staff is just not comfortable leaving their kids with caregivers. So they know that Kids Fest volunteers are live scanned, were fingerprinted, background checked, all that stuff. So they asked for someone to come with them so they knew that their children would be safe while they were at the retreat. So you're, you're a Kids Fest volunteer here. Yes, I am. And then taking those gifts and that training there. Exactly, okay. yes. So how did you end up in this, uh, in this journey? You're, I think you're pretty surprised that you're all of a sudden heading to Cambodia for Thanksgiving week. Very much so, Tell yes. us about that journey. So it just kind of started, one of my good friends is Cindy Dixon, and we were having lunch one day, and she said, um, so your name came up in a conversation today. There's a team that's going to Cambodia, and they're putting on a marriage retreat for the AIM staff there. And with your heart for kids and your heart for missions, I thought maybe you would be a good fit. And immediately I was like, no, definitely I'm not a good fit for this. I'm going through a divorce, and I'm surely the last person that they would want to go to help them with a marriage retreat. There's no way. And she just kind of laughed, and she said, well, just pray about it. And so I did. And then next up, just shortly after that, was a Malawi mission meeting. And I was there with Kelsey and Mary Beth and just happened to run into Carol Henderson, who is also a team member for the retreat. And she's like, Pam, I hear that you might be going to Cambodia. And I was <laughs> like, well, yeah, you know, I really don't think I'm the right person for the job. And let me give you the 50 reasons why. And so I went through my whole sad story. And she just kind of chuckled and said, well, let's just pray about it and see what God says. So Okay, and then third up, I just happened to be at a mini women's retreat, and I met Susan Muse, who is one of the leaders, and she'll be presenting much of the content who's in Cambodia. She's got a great heart for marriage. Her and her husband are really active in Lakeside's marriage ministry, and I thought definitely this one is going to say, nope, I'm rescinding the invitation. You're not welcome to go with us, and to my surprise, she said, no, I think you'd be a good fit, but let's pray about it and make sure, so I did. I prayed about it a lot. So you prayed about it. They prayed about it, too. Yes. I, so if there's I'm something sure. you don't want to happen, don't ask Carol or Cindy or... Uh, I know, right? ...to pray for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was really surprised because what was revealed to me is that I was starting to define myself by this tragedy that had happened in my life. And this label that I had attached to myself was really hindering me from fulfilling God's plan for my life. So with that, I was kind of reminded, you need to look at this through God's eyes and not through my circumstances. And when I did that, there were three things that really became clear. And first was that the mission of AIM is really important in God's eyes, right? It's not okay for kids to be sold into slavery. And it grieves God's heart deeply, and it needs to grieve ours as well. And second, the Lakeside team, their mission is really important. Marriage is really important to God, and relationships and family and all of that. And this is really a gift that they were bringing to the Cambodian team. And then third, it's like God does not exclude us from his mission based on our marital status, our age, our gender, or our ethnicity. We see it over and over again in scripture, right? And so I was reminded that I was created with certain gifts, and God put this heart in me that beats for kids. And while I grew up not knowing that the creator of the universe loved me desperately and knows my name, doesn't every kid on the planet need to know that 
And so then I realized what an awesome opportunity I had been given and what an honor and a blessing it would be to get to serve with this inspired lakeside team and then to go partner with the AIM folks. I mean, these people storm the gates of hell every day with the work that they do. And so after that, I finally realized God was saying, Pam, you need to listen more to my voice and my call than your fears and doubts. And so with that, I said yes to Cambodia. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very cool. <laughs> surprise. Yeah, yeah, big surprise, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, um... Now, some of you are like, is this the surprise he's talking about? So not for everybody. Don't worry about that. But I do want people to have a chance to uh, engage with what you guys are doing. So okay. you guys will be out in the lobby, you and some other team members yes. afterwards. So if you guys want to get more information, you want to get connected, you want to be able to pray for Pam and the work that she'll do as well as the rest of the team and the work that they'll do, just stop by the table out on that side of the lobby at the end and um, you can get some information about that. Deal? Thank you, both of you. Good, okay, all right. Hey, so let's pray for Pam before, uh, before we wrap this up, okay? Father in heaven, thank you very much for Pam and for the um, faith that she is exhibiting in you to take this step. Uh, I love that she's willing to do what you call her to do, and it is surprising, but I believe redemption will be happening in the work that she does with, those, with the children of the, of the staff there for AIM. And so I pray that you'll bless her and may her work be really productive and fruitful. I pray, Lord, for the rest of the team that they would be able to encourage the marriages of our friends with AIM so that they would be empowered to keep doing what they're doing and to bring the good news of Jesus into that really dark place. So bless our whole team as they prepare. Bless all of us together as we seek ways to live out this redemptive mission that you've given to us. And Lord, you be highly exalted through us as we live for you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.